It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Stephanie Wilson, and you're listening to Freedom Over Fascism. My strategic advice is this really is not about Joe Biden. This is about everyday folks who wake up and feet hit the ground and what kind of country they want to be about. This race is about Joe Biden. Mm. This race is about our future. Some of these values that I think um, the Democrats have long stood for. I think we have a very good shot to win. Hi, friends. This week, we mark the third anniversary of Trump and MAGA's attempt to overthrow the free and fair presidential election of 2020. One of the most important things for us to remember is that this conspiracy to deprive voters of our choice and disrupt the peaceful transfer of power was much larger than the January 6th invasion of the Capitol. Trump and his MAGA army planned, promoted, and paid for the coup attempt that started well before the election and continued through January 6th. What I want to talk about right now is the attempt in several states to disqualify Trump from the ballot based on the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment is written clearly, and the original intent was to keep people who had violated their oaths and waged war against the Union from taking power again. For the most part, the United States didn't hold the Confederate leaders to account, which sets the stage for our difficulties right now. I want to talk with you right now about how we discuss the situation of Trump's candidacy and the legal efforts to bar him from state ballots. The first thing we need to do when we talk to people in real life, not among family like ourselves, is to focus on the fact that we know Trump and his supporters engaged in a wide-ranging conspiracy to overthrow the election. They called secretaries of state and demanded votes to be changed. They tried to defraud the government with false slates of electors. They ruined the lives of election workers to try to steal votes. And when all of that failed, they tried to get the vice president to violate his oath of office and refuse to certify the election. And as part of the last effort, Trump whipped up a violent invasion of the Capitol. So we definitely should not talk about January 6th as somehow different than all the other attempts to defeat the will of the people. The 14th Amendment exists to prevent people who are threats to the nation from taking an office they've already betrayed. So when we talk about this to people in the world, we've got to avoid some of the rhetorical traps and stick to the heart of the matter. 
like we talk about on this podcast all the time, the value of freedom is central. We need to be focusing on the outcomes of these suits rather than the process and focus on how removing Trump protects our country and our freedoms and upholds the will of the voters. We also need to connect the attack on the 2020 election to their efforts to take away our freedom to vote by trying to limit the number of people who can actually vote. Another rhetorical trap to avoid is the let voters decide argument. Voters already did decide when we elected Biden in 2020. Trump and his MAGA henchfolk tried to illegally hold on to power and are now on trial for felonies related to those attempts. So giving them the chance to steal the election again just restricts our freedoms to have our votes count. I want to thank our friend Anat Shankar Osorio and the Research Collaborative for articulating the most effective way to discuss these lawsuits. Now on to today's conversation. My chat with Mark Riddle, president of the Future Majority Pack, focuses a lot on the value of freedom and how we should be using it to connect and communicate with voters on the basis of our shared values. Future Majority has conducted massive research with voters about what they care about. I think you'll find our conversation helpful in thinking about how to talk to people you know in real life and to voters in areas where you work and live. As always, I ask for your support on Substack, Patreon, or our spanking new website, www.freedomoverfascism.us. Please, please, please introduce this podcast to one person in your real life. If you want to advertise on this program, please contact me directly. And if you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear them. Please leave a rating or review so the podcast shows up higher on those pesky algorithms. And now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Mark Riddle. Mark Riddle, welcome to Freedom Over Fascism. Thanks, Stephanie. Look forward to the conversation. So do I. We talk a lot on this podcast about freedom and about messaging that will reach everyday people. And at Future Majority, I know you do a lot of research about what voters respond to. Can you tell us a little bit more about your research and how that works at Future Majority and what else do you do with what you learn? Yeah, sure. So um, thank you, everybody, for listening. My name is Mark Riddle. I am the president of Future Majority. We are a strategy center focused on research and messaging, and, and we do a lot of kind of issue work. Um, we started after the 2016 election, Stephanie, um, like many mm, folks, like many of, probably us. many of your listeners, very concerned about the election of uh, Donald Trump and what a lot of us who've been working in the business for a long time and I'm one of those people felt like the Republicans tried to basically buy the basic American value word of freedom. It was always freedom guns and freedom of this and freedom of regulation and they had buildings named after it and all that sort of thing. And not just us, but a lot of folks who are starting to come together around this kind of idea that maybe we shouldn't let one of the basic American values words be owned by a political party. You know, we get cued on the Democratic side or progressive side of 
using different words. But at the end of the day, you know, if you ask any American, their kind of core value American thing is the word freedom. So we started experimenting it, obviously, with some early research in early 2017. I think we did about 300 meetings that year, folks around the country, some of the best and brightest in uh, creative space in Hollywood to Madison Avenue to elected officials, frankly, a lot of donors, you know, and kind of came up with this idea that we should focus on kind of freedom, fair shot and future being kind of what future majority would work on, kind of those three words. And so uh, now over 200,000 people surveyed and how many years we've been at this and uh, real proud of our work. And um, thank you for all the things that you're doing. Well, thanks. I am so interested to hear a little bit about how you talk to people. I know that right now, polling as a general construct is is in some degree of transition. How do you learn about what is resonating with people? I agree 100% with what you said about the state of polling. And I think people often forget that poll is really a research instrument Mm -hmm. to learn from. The results are on an election day or some other marker. Too often right now, people are, oh, we're up, we're down, we're this or that. And there's actually no guts to what they're saying, or they're just frankly making it up for online propaganda. We um, work with our partners at Change Research. Um, We have some other polling firms we like and use as well. But what we do is really try to dig deep, ask a lot of questions, a lot of repetitiveness, little different nuances here or there. We're uh, able to do that because it's online you know, I'm not interested if a candidate's up by 0.1 today or minus 0.2 tomorrow. What we're trying to do is get big thematics. So we experiment a lot. We'll go look at the same place over and over again with different sets of language. And then what we try to do is be a marketplace. So we share our information, right, so people can use it and then let other people go and test it. And if everybody kind of comes up with the same set of things, maybe not perfect, then maybe there's a good idea there. So that's kind of how we view ourselves. So we poll online. I think our last poll, we asked well over 100 questions, a lot of different nuance, a lot of different angles, message testing. You know, you see what works or doesn't work um, and then kind of draw some conclusions. I think um, so far to date, working with change, we did an analysis in the year. We looked at 27 million data points. Wow. So a lot of information, a lot of big data. We're really trying to figure out what is the meaning, what are people really trying to get to, um, and it's had a, a lot of success. Um, and then there are really smart people, you know, in the party, in this industry, who can then take some of that and use it for electioneering, which we don't do, or you know, other things, and it, you know, tailor it to state, local, a candidate, or whatever makes sense, but. We generally do like the freedom frame. It tends to test much better than a politician or just kind of a bunch of meaningless words. Mm -hmm. Or what we often do too much is go right to the policy and go, hey, does this policy work? Oh, it's at 88%. We're going to do talk about this. And there's kind of no values for any mind. So I also believe that you need to 
engage people's emotions if you want to engage them in any sort of action. And policy, while great, and while we win on policy, you know, it doesn't really move anybody unless you can relate it to somebody's personal life. Totally agree there. Um, One of the things we talk a lot about at Future Majority is the hero of the story. Right. That needs to be the voter. And too often political leaders make themselves the hero of the story. They forget, well, the voter kind of cares about themselves and what value sets. And, or they're trying to prove something and then use the voter as proof point instead of making the voter the hero of the story. If you do that, then I think you motivate voters. I think this is going to be a big issue in 2024 because my strategic advice is this really is not about Joe Biden. This is about everyday folks who wake up and feet hit the ground and what kind of country they want to be about. This race is about Joe Biden. Hmm. This race is about our future. Some of these values that I think um, the Democrats have long stood for. And I think we have a very good shot to win. So in a lot of what I call MAGA-captured states and areas within bluer states, um, folks are already living in this freedom-free zone. There are the abortion bans, which really translates into a lack of health care because doctors move out of the state. Their kids are facing the banning of books and saying what kind of history they can learn. What do you think will be helpful for people in those states where both gerrymandering and voter suppression is big, but really internalized voter suppression is, is really big because they don't think their voices can count at all? How, how would you say to reach them? Yeah, I think a lot of this kind of post-20, and I, I think some of these triple C's on this in 2022. This is about the voter, but having their vote actually count. The freedom to have your vote count. And what is happening in red states, I moved from Kentucky to Florida. So I've kind of seen this firsthand, right? If people don't feel like their vote counts, then it's hard to motivate them. That's why I think these ballot initiatives around reproductive freedom are really important because they feel like their voice has a a chance of mattering, right? And today in Florida, the attorney general is going to court to basically suppress, I think, 1.4 million signatures saying that they can't put reproductive freedom on the ballot here in 2024. They claim to be the free state, right? Party of freedom here in the state of Florida. And so what I think you have to battle back, I think we've got to run candidates up and down the ballot everywhere. I don't view things anymore in kind of red or blue. I view things kind of where at least Democrats communicate and where they don't. Um, And there's a lot of overlap there, but look at the governor's race in Kentucky with uh, Governor Bashir. He won overwhelmingly in what we would call a Republican state now Mm because he communicated his values, his messaging on issues that we would not have touched 10 years ago in the state of Kentucky. Look at John Tester in Montana. Like where we communicate, we have a very good shot. And I think that needs to be a kind of a larger conversation within the family 
mm-hmm. about where, how, and kind of when we communicate with voters. Because when we get our message out, and, and freedom's part of it, um, voters go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But too often we've kind of, I don't want to say wave the white flag because that's unfair to the people who fight their butts off every day in, in places. But, you know, communication just takes real money. And these days and too often we're like, well, it's only six states that matter and nothing else really does and try to get to just enough. And I think, Stephanie, looking kind of at this MAGA coalition, you know, I'm, I'm bullish that I think we can win in places that we shouldn't and then can you then expand out from there. And so, you know, um, yeah, it's tough living in red states. Also, think pointing out the hypocrisy of their language also is very effective to voters. You know, when Ron DeSantis got his freedom narrative flipped on his head around banning books or don't say gay or the slavery has its benefits. Well, like, what the F is he doing, right? It's not doing right. well here anymore. And so you know, folks are fighting back. We have a great state house leader, a great party chair here in Florida fighting back. I think we're going to do okay in Florida. Look at Kentucky with Governor Bashir. Look at Ohio with the ballot initiative. Look at, you know, Yonkin was all but ready to launch a presidential based on his big wins of Virginia. And I guess he's going to go back to hedge fund world. I don't know. So, yeah, where we communicate, we do well. And I think a lot of the work your organization and others are doing in and around some of this narrative, it really matters. Well, we're trying. And one of the things that I, I've done a lot of work in Indiana recently, um, and that's one of the states where there is no uh, ballot initiative process. It's not yeah. a possibility. And and just Democrats have not been showing up. And the Democratic, I'd say candidate, I'm not going to call it the party, but the candidates can't get their act together to say the same thing. And um, as a result, people lose hope. People don't believe in the system. Uh, I talked to Andrea Miller a couple months ago, and and her big thing is, you know, hungry people don't vote. You know, if if people don't think that the system is working, and they've got much bigger problems, they just stay home. So I talk a lot about how the battle is between us and the couch. Mm-hmm. Like I don't believe there are really that there are that many undecided voters anymore. I think people know what they're getting. Totally right. But are they going to come out? I have a thought on that. I thought on everything, but I have a thought on that specifically. One of the things early in our research that we kept seeing was it kind of said exactly what you just talked about. The system is broken. Frankly, it's corrupt. Why would my vote count? Everything from gerrymandering to campaign finance to e all the above, right? Right. And so one of our recommend, early recommendations in 2017, so I was seeing just huge spikes in kind of anti-corruption stuff, which correlates directly with kind of freedom, right? You're not free in a corrupt society, right? You're really not. Controlled right. by somebody, be it political leaders or a business or a boss, right? You can't collectively organize, right? Those sorts of things. Right. And what my strong recommendation particularly in redder areas, um, is really for electeds and party leaders to 
take hold of kind of a strong anti-corruption message, right? It is uh, was key in the 2018 win nationally, but I feel like we've kind of lost our fastball on that the last few years. And I think the Republicans know that. That's why most people in the House, most households know the name Hunter Biden, which is just strange, right? <laughs> right. You know, they know they had to muddy that up, right? Trump yeah. and MAGA had to kind of muddy up that sort of thing. You know, the House Bill 1, which then kind of got, came two bills with the Voting Rights Act. Both things should pass, but I, would, I kind of was hoping they would be kind of segmented because I think a lot of the ethics reform, things that were very well done by current Congressman Sarbanes and many others in that bill would have, I think, given confidence to people who sit on the couch like, oh, somebody's listening to me. Instead, we kind of jammed it. That's what happens in Washington. All one package, and then it gets picked apart. Uh, my recommendation with for people in Indiana, others is, I don't think they'll listen to anything else until they feel like you at least understand their issue. And their issue is things all just bought and paid for by. One of the early data sets we looked at was kind of federal, state, local corruption. Mm-hmm. And it was high across the board. It wasn't like, oh, the federal people, it was everybody's bought and paid for. So right. to you address that, then why why get out and vote? Particularly in non-big elections, right? Right. I think that is something that I would challenge your listeners, you know, to really talk to folks in all these areas about is forming that kind of narrative. I think that makes a, a lot of sense. My question is, so yes, the whole anti-corruption narrative is big and the Republicans really know how to change the subject. Like, why do we know the name Claudine Gay at this point? And the media chases every little shiny object there is. And in one of my favorite ways of thinking about this is Jay Rosen's they need to start thinking about the stakes and not the odds or talking about the stakes. Independent media and local media is a different story. How do we find a way to get to the stakes without getting lost in every shiny object the Republicans throw? Because they're really good at throwing shiny objects. Oh, uh, 100%. This week it'll be the, I guess now, former Harvard president. Next week it'll be something else and next week it'll be something else what i would say is discipline matters and there's been a lot of kind of family discipline over the since trump has been elected and there's been a lot of winning since trump Mm -hmm. was elected because of this kind of it's called family discipline right Mm -hmm. doesn't mean everywhere right but let's look not that long ago at the midwest Pennsylvania was trending much more Republican. Wisconsin, we had Scott Walker. You had a Republican governor in Illinois. You had a Republican governor in Michigan. Got great Democratic governors in these areas, lieutenant governors, AGs. That's a very important kind of electoral piece of these big Midwest states. Look at the kind of Southwest. It was not that long ago, right? I'm now old enough to remember when there was a lot of Republican control in the Rocky Mountain West down through New Mexico and Arizona. And over a long period of time, 
particularly with Hispanic voters, grinding away a lot of discipline, a lot of messaging, apparently a lot of money, a lot of resources. Arizona's a toss-up. New Mexico leans our way. Colorado leans our way. Right, we have a great um, U.S. senator in Montana. Nevada looks much better, right, because a lot of work being done there. So let's say is, yes, shiny objects matter, but we just have to, and it's important for leaders like you and others just to keep people on, keep people disciplined, right? To me, kind of the next goal is let's get go get North Carolina. Right. Put North Carolina where Virginia is. Florida's Absolutely. Doable, frankly, there's enough people sitting on their couches here. Um, I, yeah, I spoke to Leader Driscoll. Her episode just dropped today, actually. Yeah, she's amazing. And she's amazing. You know, Texas is demographically changing. Houston is what now the fourth largest city in the country, right? So a little patience, a lot of messaging, and a lot of discipline kind of beats back the Rupert Murdoch Fox bullshit all the time. And you just can't get, we all just get so distracted by whatever our Twitter feed is that day. Mm-hmm. And we just have to understand most people are not interested in any of that. Most people doing what, what, what do they want? They want to get up in the morning, right? They want their family to be safe, right? They're working hard to make sure there's a roof and that there's enough food Right. And they want what we call at Future Majority kind of financial freedom. Right. Mm-hmm. To maybe do one or two extra things. And people can't. Right. But that's why I mean, that's why I'm a Democrat. To want people to have more opportunity. That's what this is about. And getting wound up on Twitter and even trying to legislate on, you know, what's going on on Twitter or whatever is going to take incredible amount of discipline in 2024. God, it's so interesting talking about everything else. what we really need to be talking about. Exactly. And now social media is fragmented and it's hard to know where to be talking. I mean, many more places that people are finding information. I think the thing that you said that really struck me is discipline and all the states that you mentioned, they've been working on changing their state for a long time. Yes, And I think outsiders look and say, oh, look, look at what Wisconsin and Michigan did. Well, how long have people been on right. the ground working for that? And that long, the long game, that long road feels very daunting. Um, oh, yeah. And the starting of it feels daunting, I think, for a lot of people. And remembering that a lot of those places took a long time. Is what has also else. happened, though, post-2016 is, I would say most of the energy is now kind of outside what we would call the party. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of avenues to get information on our side as well, right? Center-left, progressive side. There are a lot of people working on this every day. Um, there's a lot of great young talent coming up through, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> For one, I'm... I'm ready to be like, here, go. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I've done enough. And, you know, you said something earlier about the stakes of what is going to happen. You know, the stakes in 24 kind of are very high regarding the presidency. But they're also very high on a number of things. And if we message that, what are the stakes of the election, be it 
Some people are interested in democracy. Some people are interested in choice. Some people may be interested in student loan, right? Whatever it is, we actually have the tools to go talk to them about what they're interested in. It's kind of amazing. We do have a lot of this stuff. And so, you know, a lot of homework will be done. I, I don't believe money will be an issue. The question is, will we have enough to defend and expand, or this is more defend? I don't know yet. My kind of personal hope is I think the presidency really matters getting through the Trump stuff, you know, which is to me a, the biggest kind of national threat. With that, I think we win the House, and then the first line of defense is. You know, I would I think would thank Speaker Jeffries <laughs> then instead right. of this guy from Louisiana is important. I think then we have to really think about okay, how do we expand majorities out? A lot of work is being done by law smart people, right, on ballot access and lawsuits on in redistricting and districts and courts are weighing in more prevalent now, I think. A lot of eyes on that. I think the kind of historic South is a big place for opportunity. It's more diverse now than it used to be. Um, You don't have to kind of run as a fake person, fake Democrat to be like, get elected as a Democrat. Right. Again, I'd say, I keep going back to Andy Bashir, right? You can just kind of run. And if you get your narrative out there, people go, yeah, like stakes are really high. And so, you know, I'm I'm generally optimistic about things when if you look at the election results last ever school board races, small mayors races in twenty three, all these places, right. right? Not just the big stuff, but it's going okay, moving in the right direction. It generally is, and that's great to see. As you say, there's there's money. I worry that it's not filtering down enough yeah. into the local and state kinds of races? Because obviously there's plenty for the presidential. Do you have a sense of a realigning and how people are thinking about investing in infrastructural organizations that are are working in a lot of these places year round all the time versus money to high profile candidates or already known national PACs? Do you have a sense of how that's going? In 2018, both was done. 2020 both was done. 2022, I would say we probably leaned in too much just on the candidate side and not the infrastructure side. I think after 20, we're like, oh, okay, well, we won, right? Trump's done, right? Realignment happened on a lot of things. Everybody's like, poof. And they're like, oh, crap, he's back, right? Right. (laughs) Within a week, actually. (laughs) And so... I think you'll have both done this time. I really do. I don't think this is going to be, particularly if Trump's the nominee, I don't think this is going to be like, well, gosh, you know, I wish we could have done X, Y, or Z. Now, the question will be, where to and is there an expansion play? I think it's just too early to tell. I mean, neither kind of campaign engaged. And what I would say to kind of your state and local point of this you can only survive so much of a margin. You're on the have the greatest candidate and messaging and whatever, but if it's eight, ten, twelve points, it's hard for you to win kind of upstream, particularly in some of these places if you don't have the ability to communicate. I think some of those tactics have to be discussed longer term. 
but it will be all hands on deck for 2024. Can we sneak in a few places and build, you know, some more bench? I hope so. But I think those decisions, like again, are going to be made much later in in the cycle, because I think we felt like Michigan was okay. Well, that money could go somewhere else, but I'm not sure Michigan's okay today. Right. And you know, Pennsylvania is always tight, right? States are expensive, but we have enough on the map to do what we need to do right now, particularly in the House and in the White House. Senate is just a funky, weird place with interesting characters and <laughs> enough money to change kind of their own ecosystem. Governors have become very big races. So what I'll say is a lot of people, you might feel a little bit like if you're at home, like, oh, are people thinking through this? Or well, how is this? You know, there are a lot of folks who work on this all the time and thinking through how do we get to kind of a governing majority at each level. Right. Um, and I would say much more so now than even before 2016 a lot of those kind of historic organizational walls have been kind of broken down and people working together. Well, I think that's the goal in a lot of places. And I think there's, in a lot of places, there are historic, you know, they haven't had much power and they haven't had much money. So they, they guard their circle of territory very jealously. And I think that's going to take a lot more work within places. 100%. 100%. You know, and listen, let's, be, let's just be honest. We lost a long period of time on kind of building. And one of the things I think that Biden doesn't get any credit for, but should, is the strength of the DNC is really good right now. Jamie's a very good chair, and they've got a great team. Right? They're putting boots on the ground. And, you know, we have MOUs with the state parties, right? <laughs> All right. These- sorts of things that are actually working okay. Can it always be better? Yes. Um, I do think that needs to be longer term, but it had really atrophied over a long period of time. Yeah. And it takes, takes time to build that stuff back. Yeah. It um, does. Totally. I mean, it's decades, right? This is not, it took the modern Republican party, what, 50 years kind of through kind of Bush Gore, right? And even a little bit of Kerry. Yeah. Oh, we won enough and we had enough. And, you know, but I think Trump was kind of the ultimate wake-up call to a lot of people. And they're like, okay, well, some things must be broken. How do we fix them? Polling being one of them. There's a lot of things. I think a lot of good stuff has happened. We just need to keep always kind of evaluating and reevaluating and what's working, what's not working, what do we need to do? I think enough people are receptive and I mean, winning helps, right? right. You go back to people and go, hey, you've been part of something good. Like, let's go do it again. Let's go do it here. Right. I think that's helpful. And there is yeah. a lot of work somebody thinking through the media landscape, which is another place that I think drives all of us crazy. Local radio, local newspapers, you know, in Kentucky, very, it used to be a very democratic state and a conservative family. Basically, all the local newspapers of Western Kentucky, and magically, years later, like, started turning. Mm-hmm. McConnell's base was actually far Western Kentucky. You know, this Jamie Comer nonsense, and I know Jamie, you know, like, he's from far West Kentucky. Well, his district's far West Kentucky. He actually kind of lives in Frankfurt, but he's a complicated soul. But 
you know, their the base in Kentucky was Western Kentucky, all because of radio and local newspaper. And so I think, I don't think this will be solved for this election, but I think local communication tools is a big priority, which then I think will help with messaging, getting the story out with kind of local leaders and state leaders and some key places that, that you brought up. Yeah, it seems like the Republicans had a much better sense of a longer time frame. You know, so this family bought the local media and then years later it pays off. Right. And I think we as Democrats really like a quick payoff and or maybe just as human beings. We all love a quick payoff these days. We can order Amazon, have it in our front yard in very little time. But I think a big difference, though, is that their payoff is a self-interest. What did that family get? Well, tax breaks for themselves. You know? Mm-hmm. Parents aren't going to give tax breaks to super wealthy people to go buy stuff. We'll tax them more, probably. <laughs> right, exactly. So... The Republican self-interest was a lot around regulation, business, tax policy. So, yeah, their benefit was their pocketbook, not kind of the public good. I think enough is happening that and enough people, and frankly, a lot of it was women, are like, okay, enough. Okay, we're going to, you know, this the, the, the Dobbs decision was like, okay, wait, what? Right. So we have to go buy local newspapers now? Okay, we'll go do that. You know, Stephanie Triok, who's one of the smartest people in the universe on all this, is like leading the charge to go do a lot of this. Like, let the women go handle it. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get done. We'll get done if that's the case. Well, that sounds like a a plan to me. On that note, I want to thank you so much for coming on. And talking to these good folks who are listening um, and giving us some nice optimism and also marching orders. Well, I mean, thanks for having me on anytime. Thank you to everybody who's tuning in. You can find us online at futuremajority.org and whatever we can do to be helpful, just let us know. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Freedom Over Fascism. And thank you to our editor, Benji Wilson. Please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash freedom over fascism. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please drop us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. We thank you for choosing freedom over fascism.